What are the issues you see plaguing the world around you? There's a lot of evil in the world, and today we're going to have an episode that looks at the top five evils plaguing our society. Now these take on a variety of forms and they have massive ramifications which are not always obvious but they nonetheless influence our world. So join in with us in the conversation by sending us your thoughts, questions, and comments and thank you for joining us. Again, this is Kingdom of the Logos and we are a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. And speaking of clergy, I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor but I'm not alone here in our studio which is Cord Purgatory. Who all else is in the studio today? I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. I'm Pastor Anthony Alegria. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. Today for our program, what we're going to do is I'm going to produce a, well, I've already produced a list of top five evils that are really, really affecting our culture. And I, I sincerely believe this is really a, an examination of everything which is kind of causing decay. And the antidote to all of these really is turning towards Christ Jesus. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to present each of these five, going from five to one, building up towards that number one. And I'm going to let all the other clergy here in the studio respond. And those of you out listening in the audience, please send me your thoughts, questions, and comments, what you think about them. So each of these, they have their own mascot, and we'll look at them and compare some things with Scripture. But let's get right to it. So number five on our list of top five evils plaguing society is addiction. Now, this takes on a lot of forms. I mean, obviously things like heroin addiction, drug addiction, things like alcohol, these things really do affect people. But the reason why I've used the word addiction, I'm being purposefully vague. I mean, there are times where you actually have a broad category um, is because I'm also including in this media addiction. And by that, I mean things like social media. When people spend a lot of time on Twitter, they start to turn like molasses in your brain. You, you kind of think at a rate where you really want everything to be a quick bit here or there. You want all your communication to take place in the form of a meme and that's not good. And this is something which is really affecting our society. Our technology has grown faster than we've had the wisdom to keep up with it and that's a big problem. Now addiction also includes things like consumerism. Of course I love to do things like shop around on eBay but those things can turn into a sinful problem if you don't keep them in check. So for the issue of addiction. The mascot for this is the Gadarene Cemetery Demons. And if you don't know who the Gadarene Cemetery Demons is, we'll take a look at them here in a second from Matthew. And again, they might ruin your life, these demons, but they are more popular than Jesus. And we've got a little title card. I think Anthony has pulled that up. Now, the colors for the school of addiction are red and yellow. And let's go ahead and read from Matthew chapter 8, verse 31. It says, the demons begged him, if you cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And they said, to, and he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, go. So they came out and entered the swine. And suddenly the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. The swine herds ran off and on going into the town, the, they told the whole story about what happened to the demoniacs. And then the whole town came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their neighborhood. Now again, from that scripture, the townspeople, they prefer the demons to the holiness of Jesus. And that's really what addiction is like. A lot of times people know it's a problem. Does anyone here in the, the studio think that the townspeople thought that having demons in your, your cemetery was a good sign? <laughs> no. Like, come on, they, they know this is a problem, but yet they're more comfortable with that problem than they are with Jesus. Well, I mean, we <clears throat> it's obvious if we speculate also, but I mean, they... We're trying to chain him up and stuff. Yeah. And he was ripping through the chains. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. they, it, it's pretty clear 
in the yep. text. You don't even have to imagine what it's like to be these people. It's clear in the text they did not want and that's uh, this how demon, demoniac around. Addiction is. It's something you try to, to put limits around it, but in the end, it's like these demons. But, and, and, you know, well, I think, too, it, it's not so much a, a story about the demoniac um, coming out. It is, of course, that. But also I think some of their fear is the, the uh, you know, hey, the swine. We've lost our swine. That You have to give up something. Um, and, you know, giving up the swine and everything, we don't want to change. And so the change in them giving up something is, is totally yeah. uh, one of the reasons I think they want Jesus to leave. Hey, there's something here that is causing a change, and we had rather not give up uh, the, you know, the, the swine and uh, change our lives to, to uh, you know, some freedom uh, from the man in the cemetery. Sure, sure. Pastor Amanda, what are your thoughts on this? Well, on addiction. On and addiction, yeah. And I, I think, like you said, it is a broad category because we, we basically, I think addiction is anytime we try to fill our lives with something um, that ultimately is unfulfilling. And so we, 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 it's almost like kind of the never ending pit. And so we keep throwing stuff into it and throwing stuff into it and throwing stuff into it. And then we wonder why we never feel like a whole and complete person. And so we, uh, we do see that. Where the whether it's the townspeople who are trying to control the demoniacs uh, through whatever means they have available to them, or even the demoniacs themselves, there has to come to a point where you want to change. And I think what's also interesting about this kind of this evil that's plaguing our world is it is so prevalent, and it can be almost any. It can even be good things like. Um, you were talking about, um, I think in, in prep, how you like to make watches or redo um, watches. And that's a good thing. That's a good, healthy habit to do. Um, but it can be consuming if you allow it. And I think for all of us, so this, this sin is a little bit more stealthy or this evil is a little more ste- stealthy than probably some of the other ones we're going to talk about because it can be good things. Yeah, and the colors for this evil school of addiction are red and yellow because they they have these natural signs of hazard. Like you see like a red and yellow snake, you see things like wasps are red, bees have those yellow and black stripes. Those are the natural colors of something telling you a hazard. And a lot of times when people cross through that threshold, they realize there's a, a cold that they're not feeling. They realize there's a problem there. But yet for some reason, they, it's the power of addiction is too, too good to let you go. Pastor Mike? Well, we, you know, I think it's obvious that uh, most everyone knows someone that has lost a family member or, or uh, you know, a friend or something that has uh, succumbed to an overdose of this drug addiction. It is, it is, it is a devastating, uh, having a devastating effect on our, on our, yeah. on our families, our culture, and you know, a lot of our school teachers. I talked to a school teacher recently that said that she had, you know, three, three or four students that had lost one parent uh, due to uh, an overdose on either. Right. Um, heroin or some type of um, um, uh, fentanyl or something that was laced with, and so you know that is kind of the obvious. But you know, addiction uh, it it goes in many directions and places, and so I know Carla Sundberg, had, uh, our general superintendent, had written a letter and sent it out to uh, the pastors to you know be careful about social media not just social media but screen addiction yeah. that it is taking away from family time and it's taking away from worship and sabbath and reading the scriptures right. and uh, you know those are things that slip in that hey we don't want to we don't want to give up something 
And I, let me slip in here. Yeah. You, you mentioned it takes away from things. I don't know that I've ever met someone with a screen addiction that it's not justified. Like it always makes sense to the person doing it. Like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this for, for work or I'm doing this because this is my only way that I can connect with someone. Like there's always a legitimate excuse, but at the same time, more than one thing can be true at once. Like you can be addicted to work and still having like that, that problem there. And that's, that's the thing which makes this so sneaky why it gets away with so much. Well, and if we look at some of the uh, images we've, we've probably seen, not just physically, but on, on screens and stuff of hoarding, you know, the, the hoarder generally has justification on oh, sure. everything yeah. they have. Yeah. All right, well, let's move along. Anthony, do you have any thoughts on that before we move on? I think you're the only one who didn't chime in much. Um, well, I did say something at the beginning, but to build off something that Mike pointed out, that they didn't want to give anything up, uh, in Luke's gospel, whenever this same story comes around, this is actually the only time that Christ steps into Gentile country, which is really, really interesting because they say that Luke's gospel is more oriented towards the Gentile. And the one time we see uh, Christ actually entering into the land of the Gentiles, he is rejected by the Gentiles, and they're not willing to pay the price either. And so I think that's something that's a, that is consistently part of the message for um, <clears throat> whenever the Bible is speaking to a, a certain audience, it frequently also says, and this group that I'm speaking to right now is probably going to reject most of this. Yeah. And I think this story is a good statement for that. And um, <clears throat> if you come to someone trying to help them out with their addiction, it'll work out in a very similar way. Yeah, sure. All right, we're going on to number four. Now, number four is also an interesting school of evil. This school is the possession by ideology. A lot of times we think of people being possessed by demons and things, but number four on my list is possession by ideology. Now, this is whenever you've got something, and again, Christianity is, is a, it's a faith. It's not an ideology. Um, whenever people get something that they, they attach themselves to, it really takes possession of them, and they really, it, it kind of starts to wreck their life. Now, when we look throughout the history of mankind, we see that people always like to be tribal. They like to find something they can attach themselves to, and they kind of surrender who they are to that. We see this with people becoming parts of cults. We see this, it's really prevalent in modern politics where people, they kind of surrender critical thinking to being people of just ideology, and it's a big problem. And it's a problem that really does attack the church as well as every other institution. Because when we look throughout the scriptures, if we ask ourselves the honest question, who is the largest enemy on earth to Jesus? Is it the Gentiles who know nothing about the gods of Israel? Or the God of Israel and they only know about their pagan gods? Or is it the intellectual elite within the house of God? Like, if I'm honest there, who, who are the, the people who are really attacking the church and who are possessed by ideology? Anybody here in the studio want to answer that question? Which of those is it? The, the pagan gods of the Gentiles or is it the intellectual elites within the house of Israel? Well, I, I would like to say that, you know, I would like to make a distinction here. The intellectual elite are those who think they're intellectual elite, but often we see, uh, especially in the gospel, that it is the blind man who has better insight than yeah. perhaps, um, you know, though the so-called intellectual elite. Uh, it is the you know, when it comes to the withered hand or whatever, it's it, it's the Pharisees or that have a withered heart that yeah. can't accept that. Right. So there's a lot of things going on. 
Yeah, and, and I wasn't asking that rhetorically. I was actually <laughs> hoping somebody would answer that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the answer is, it's the, the scribes. It's the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Yeah. These are the people who, who are really after Jesus. It's not the, the Gentiles and their... Anthony? Well, I think what you're saying is especially true just for all sorts of um, idolatry for people who really should know the name of God. Uh, one instance that recurs over and over throughout the Old Testament is um, Baal worshipers. Yeah. And these are found in Israel. Yep. yep. Uh, you know, who should be the people of God. But um, Baalism was very attractive for its uh, fertility natures. Yeah. And the people turned back to Baal over and over. And the prophets were like, what on earth are you doing? And the problem with possession by ideology is it tends to split people and corrupt things from within. Within the church, this corrupts things. If we look at the institutions in our country here in America, they're split because of such intense possession by ideology that people can't really come together. And that's such a, it's a tragic thing. And and God, he wants to liberate people from these things. And Anthony brought up Baal, but he's getting close to the mascot for this. So the school of possession by ideology, their mascot is Beelzebub. If you don't know who Beelzebub is, he is sort of an ancient demon, prince of demons. He is the disease-riddled demon in a swarm of insects on a dead animal. And, of course, the colors for Beelzebub's school are purple. And that's because whoever is possessed by Beelzebub feels royal. It makes them feel like they're important and pretty. It makes them feel like they're part of the big thing. But the truth of it is you're just possessed by an ideology. So it's not that fun. So thoughts on this one. Pastor Amanda, what do you think about this evil? Yeah, um, well, I think something that's really interesting about this one, again, is uh, similar to the one about addiction. It's a little bit sneakier, especially for the church, because um, we can often think we've we've kind of got the corner market on, on certain ideas or philosophies or thoughts or um, methodologies or whatever you want to say. And so we, we kind of think then we've got the, the corner on God's will. Uh, we've got it figured out. And this this off is a is a common heresy and evil in our world it is it's not a new one obviously because we do see it in our new testament and as anthony mentioned in our old testament of people trying to figure out what it means to be called by god and then to live that out and also to live kind of in that tension of giving up that knowledge of not thinking we own it or we have it or we can somehow possess it or be possessed by it yeah and just to give some contrast, let's actually read some scripture on this. So the gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 12, again, we're finding a story with a demon-possessed person. And in 12 verses 22 through 24, it says this, Then they brought to him a demoniac who was blind and mute, and he cured him, so that the one who had been mute could speak and see. All the crowds were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons, that this fellow casts out the demons. Now, of course, the Pharisees in this text, they're so possessed by their ideology that they look at Jesus, and instead of seeing Jesus and seeing the begotten Son of God casting out a demon, they look at Jesus and they see Beelzebub. This is what possession by ideology does. It makes you unable to see the world for what it really is. Pastor Mike. I think it's interesting, too, that the crowds are the one that is uh, seeing this as the son of David. They already have uh, an insight that goes beyond the clouded view of the Pharisees and their ideologies. Yeah, and I pointed this out in the message I gave Sunday, but one of the things that's odd is that in this text, 
This act carried out by Jesus of exercising a demon indicates to the masses that are watching this that he might be a son of David, that he might be some sort of messiah king. Like most of the time we think of them looking for a messianic ruler that's going to be out with a sword, you know, conquering people like King David. But yet, this time it was actually spiritual warfare. It was a spiritual place where Jesus was bringing healing, and that was the sign of them. They actually perceived this pretty well. Um, so that's a little bit out of character. I mean, how we often look at things back there, but it's, it's interesting, very interesting. Anthony, any thoughts on this one before we move on? It's uh, really, really, really hard to defeat. Um, I think I'll, if I were going to give one piece of advice for addressing this sort of issue, it would just be that <clears throat> you have to use the tools of conversion, not the tools of rationality. Yeah. Um, reason is, for the most part, not going to convince someone of another ideology to convert to a different ideology. Most of the time, it's going to be uh, the tools of, of conversion. And I think these are embodied well in what people think of as cults. You know, you give people a place of um, belonging and give them a way to some sort of salvation and that sort of thing. But I think that in the church, uh, we live out the body of Christ as the traditions have been handed down to us. And people see that. So, Anthony, what you're telling me is if someone is so far gone that they look at a healing act, Jesus coming to a man who's mute and blind, and he heals the man who now can speak and have sight, they look at that and see Beelzebub. You're telling me these people are too far gone for a reason? Well, I mean, the funny thing is, is that a lot of times we think, uh, oh, well, if only those people saw Jesus work miracles, then they too would be believers like we are. And it's like, look, our scriptures have evidence of people who saw Jesus work miracles who did not believe. And it's not just that they don't believe. They saw something totally different. They saw evil. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but is, is giving sight and a working mouth to someone not good? Well, obviously it is. I, I feel like yeah. I'm asking rhetorical yeah. questions. Yeah. No. Or, well, we don't, I, we're, yeah. I'm not sure we know. But yeah, right. I think the other thing is, and, and I was thinking about bringing this up or not, but to, to kind of answer also your question, this is the passage that I have used in the past for, for speaking about why women can be in ministry. Because mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense. If I am called to proclaim the good news of the gospel, how can I be called by Satan? How can I be going to hell? Which is something, even though I have not directly gotten that comment, uh, my sister, my mom, and my aunt, who are all, uh, well, two of them are ordained elders, and one is becoming an or uh, ordained in her denomination. Um, like, this makes no sense. Because, yeah. And, and to, to Anthony's point, logic, it's not that you cannot speak to them logically, but their own logic is so convoluted that there does need to be something more than just human logic that's going on. And this is how and Jesus also responds with, basically to paraphrase Jesus, he looks at the, those who are saying it is by Beelzebub and he says, say that again slower. Think about <laughs> what just came out of your mouth. Because a house divided cannot stand. Yeah. How yeah. can Satan cast out Satan? And so how can anything that is against evil um, be evil? And so that's basic. And, and so, yeah, there, there's something quite fantastical about this mode of thinking that does, that does make it very hard sure. to uproot both outside and within the church. Pastor Mike? Well, I think, too, that uh, we can also see in this when, when ideologies become the god of people, 
and uh, they start worshiping that, then they will not play fair by the games. They will use scripture. They'll use tradition. Oh, yeah, they'll use yeah. anything to proof text and get their way and prove their point. And it goes back to what Anthony was saying in that, you know, this is not something where you're going to be able to have a logical conversation uh, because it just it's not there. Yeah, so Pastor Mike, you're telling me if somebody looks at you after doing something obviously good and says, you're Beelzebub, you say they're not willing to play fair? I'm saying that. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yes, thank you. Yeah, we, we can say that. Um, Anthony? Uh, to sort of build off of something that Amanda was saying, uh, Jesus' Jesus's response is pretty logical, but I think in many ways, in some sense, he's responding for the sake of those around and not necessarily oh, yeah, yeah. for the Pharisees because um, I really – the text doesn't say anything about it, and the Gospels take every chance they can to glorify Christ. So – I think there's a good chance that the Pharisees were not converted by that reasoning, but I will also say that this sort of demonstrates a really awesome idea called um, fetus quarant intellectum, faith seeking understanding, and also uh, intellectus fidei, which is um, basically intelligence of faith. Not faith of intelligence or faith of intellect, but it is intellect of faith. In having faith in Christ, we use our tools of reason to uh, be able to better understand the kingdom and better understand our task here as Christians. And so then we serve more faithfully. But if you try to be the one who says, I want to be understanding, seeking faith, rather than faith seeking understand, or rather, um, in any case, if you try to found your faith on reason, then in many ways you'll be no different than the Pharisees which their their faith is very very reason oriented, and uh, you won't be able to recognize the true well, they've, Christ. They've created a rationale for it. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. So Amanda, I know you had some thoughts, and well, then we've. Got <laughs> and to move I know on. Pastor Mike does too, but I was just going to say real quick to also remind us: as much as we we the Pharisees do become the villains of our of our of the story so often that it is a Pharisee that will bury Jesus when all yep. the disciples oh, yep. run away. Yeah. Yeah, and sure. it is a Pharisee who will write most of our New Testament. Yep. Um. So so those um. <laughs> There, there, there are chances as difficult as these great evils are. This is yep. also a good place to remind us that uh, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And Christianity is a faith that looks at individuals. And just for one um, conclusion <laughs> here on what, to, as we conclude this, where Anthony was talking about, um, you know, uh, faith of our intelligence rather than uh, having an intelligent faith. I, 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 you know, I'm going to be the first to confess that I have. I have slipped, and Amanda mentioned how you know it easy it is for us to sometimes maybe uh, fall in there, and you know uh, eventually we we do see Apostle Paul and Nicodemus who were Pharisees being a part um, of the Christian faith, but for for uh, I mean I think that's a dangerous slippery slope, sure. and uh, I'm I'm willing to confess that sometimes I've I have uh, I have learned and and move forward. All right, well moving on to number three. And this one is a little bit more theatrical. <laughs> the Antichrist. Now, there are two other terms that can be accurately be subbed in for the Antichrist. Um, fake news is the most modern one. And I'm actually glad that that's been entered into modern discourse. I'll explain that in a second. And then the, the more technical, large vocabulary word that most of you have never heard of and I had never heard of till a few years ago is sophistry. And so basically what this is, and I'll make my justification for this, is if Christ is the Word, the Holy Word of God, capital W there, Word, begotten by the Father inexplicably before time began, and he turns chaos into order. You look at Christ. He is the Word. He comes to take places of suffering, places of brokenness, places of mute and 
you know, blind, and he brings them to a place of order, a place where there is holiness, a place where there is grace. But the Antichrist is also the use of word, but it's not the word of God, it's just an imitation. It's the use of word to tear things down from a place of order and holiness and somewhere going towards good and move them towards chaos. Now, the Antichrist, again, it's not something that is born. Like a lot of times we think of it as being like a, a villain played by Nicolas Cage because, <laughs> come on, if, if Nicolas Cage gets asked to play the Antichrist, does he do it? Probably. Yeah, well, yes. he did. He did play the uh, protagonist and a in, left behind. Yeah, remake, right, so right, sure. Yeah, fairly close. Fairly close. <laughs> uh, close enough. So a lot of times we think of it being a person with like red eyes, but really the Antichrist is a spirit that can kind of come and possess people, sort of like ideological possession, and it comes and it affects us. It's something that sounds true, but isn't. It's the use of word to manipulate and control our mind. So it's whenever you, you turn on the TV and they're saying stuff, they're trying to paint a story for you. It's kind of rooted somewhat in truth, but really they're just trying to control and manipulate you. And actually, let me go to our scripture now. Um, and actually, we'll get to our mascot in scripture. And I think it'll make more sense what the Antichrist is and who they are and how you can identify them. So for our little card to pull up here, the mascot of the Antichrist is the chief priest editors. And these are the chief priest editors who ask Pontius Pilate to change the inscription above Jesus. And their colors are green and gray because they think that they are better than you. They think they are the ones giving sustenance to the word. They're the ones guiding you. They're coming and they're green. They're like the, the food that the cows eat. And then we eat the cows. Um, they think they're high of importance and they sustain you. And they think they're gray like the foundation up under you. But they're really not. Um, so John chapter 19 verses 19 to 22 give us a wonderful example of what I'm talking about because it is kind of a confusing thing. It's very cryptic. John 19, 19 reads as follows. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. And the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write, King of the Jews, but instead write, This man said, I am the King of the Jews. Verse 22, Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. So that's a good example of the Antichrist sophistry fake news. It's when someone comes and, again, somebody answered, Did Jesus ever go around telling people I am the King of the Jews to start with? Well, and that's, yeah, one, one of the things <laughs> is Jesus didn't kind of start off with like, Bam! I'm a, you know I'm I'm some great big thing. He he yeah. starts with parables, teaching that the kingdom of heaven is here. Sure. And eventually, to some and to certain crowds, he will tell them about his mission, um, more specifically. But it, this is, and I think also, which is fascinating about this part of the story, is how petty do you have to be where you have already basically killed a man. But you're still mad because what he's being accused of being killed for, which is what you want, by the way, you want this man dead, but you are so petty that you want to make sure that everyone else understands like why you did what you did. Yeah. Like there's just a certain level of. <sighs> it wasn't good enough to kill him. They've got to lie about it, too. Yeah. Well, and, and they lie with something that, again, they're just this is what the Antichrist does. This is what sophistry. This is what fake news does. They twist something. Pontius Pilate makes a sign that just says, the king of the Jews. Well, and they're actually lying with something 
uh, like they accuse Jesus, this is blasphemy, right, to proclaim that he's the king of the Jews. This is against Caesar. And, and actually, in the story before this, they will they will they will get mad at Jesus because he is saying that he that he is the son of God, which makes them equal with God. And they have no other, you know, they they have no other uh, leader but God. And yet, just moments before this happens, they tell Pontius Pilate, "We have no king but Caesar." Yeah. And so these are people who are willing to give up. And to 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 say and to do sure. um, and to believe in whatever will will help them to survive. And I, I think really at the heart of sophistry, at the heart of well, many of these sins, but I think especially this one. This is the the one where we will destroy whatever we can destroy so that we can succeed. And that's this is why we have fake news. This is why we have um, a, a, a clickbait. You know, this is it's not. Some of it is stupid, but most of it is so it can capture you so that you can be conquered by whatever philosophy or ideology or really possession is happening. And it's a tool that is used. I think that often the the goal of all sin, I think, is to destroy life. But this one, this one becomes quite, quite fantastic in its ability to even take good things. And I mean, it, it, it kind of is like a, it's the intellectual version of addiction almost. Yeah. Um, it, it is the one that kind of twists those good things around um, and manipulates them so that you can find yourself utterly destroyed. And it is really, again, you find that distinction. Instead of the sign saying the king of the Jews, they wanted to say this man said he was the king of the Jews. You know, they want the story told their way. And you, you can't hear the story in any other than their way. They don't want people to think freely. They don't want people to think for themselves. And that is such a tragedy um, when that happens, especially when, when people control information. It's, it's a horrible, horrible thing. Uh, Pastor Mike, what are your thoughts on, on this one, number three? Well, I think, uh, obviously, Christ is, is the title for really the king, the Messiah, the anointed one. And this is very much a statement that it is antichrist in the sense that they do not want Jesus as their king. So place on there that he says that. And so it is definitely antichrist in that in that uh, sense. But no, no longer, you know, Pilate also asks what is truth when he's talking to sure. Jesus. Yeah. But Jesus is the truth. And uh, it, some just will not accept the truth, and they want to. No. Uh, they want to. They want to destroy the truth. But yes, the truth's uh, not enough. Antichrist, anti-king. This is not my king. Is yeah. really what's going on. Anthony, your thoughts on this one before we move along? Uh, I actually think that um, I don't think they were being petty at all. Whenever they wanted to change this, I think they were making the best move they could have tried to make in that scenario because. A lot of the Pharisees' mindsets, I think a lot of them are not necessarily entirely made up, or the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I don't think they're all entirely made up concerning Jesus. You know, um, the chief priest says that he had a vision and that it would be through the death of Christ that uh, Israel would be redeemed. And uh, one of the other priests, I think this is both in the Gospel of John, one of the other uh, priests, one of the other Pharisees or Sadducees says that... um, they should go ahead and kill Jesus, and if his movement is real, then his followers will continue after he has died. And if this is not really from God, then after he has died, it will be over. And so I think there's a lot of conversation in uh, the priestly uh, Judaism about the question of Jesus, whether or not this is real. And so on the flip side, they're also thinking, how on earth are we going to lead our people in the way that we think is right? And 
if we have this guy up here who is declared king of the Jews, yeah, what sort of issues is that going to create? You know, they I think they understood uh, the um, the risk of making a martyr of somebody. Yeah, and I think they tried to address it the best way they could. Not saying that I support them doing so, but I, it was the best decision for them to make. All right. Well, moving on to number two. This one is family breakdown. Now, this takes in a lot of forms, um, just so many different forms. This is the breakdown of the family structure. Uh, you see a lot of movies that come out reflecting where our culture is at. The, the Conjuring series, a big theme throughout that is something is attacking the family. There's a great video game, and I can't believe someone with a clergy collar is about to say this, but the <laughs> Resident Evil 7 Biohazard, I think, is one of the best video games that's come out in a long time because it's a spot-on nail of where our culture is at. And to give a few spoilers of that, um, what you see in that is there is an evil entity which has already taken possession of one family and turned them all into monsters. And then there's a main character who comes into it. He has a girlfriend, so they're not really married yet. And there is an evil entity that tells them it's going to be a new family with them. And it pretends to be a child. And as the game progresses, it pretends to be their grandmother. And it demands, this is the new family. I am your children, so I am your future. And it lies. It won't let them know the true history. It also says, and I am your, your ancestor, by the, by the way, I'm the grandma too. I'm your child, I'm your grandma. And it lies to them about that. And that's really where our culture is right now, kind of lying a little bit about where we've came from, falsely painting it. Again, a bit of sophistry there. Sophistry about the future, kind of lying, demanding this is the future, this is the past, you take it. And it wants to possess. And the breakdown of the family, again, this is the reason why this is number two is because most of us um, are either going to go home and spend time with our families or we're going to go home and spend time in absence of family. Like we, family life is so critical to life as a, as a human, as an individual. And the breakdown of the family, whenever problems happen there, it has such huge ramifications all the way across culture. People who become criminals for life, it usually is because they don't have a dad in the home when they were growing up. Um, it's so important for kids to be raised with, with their dad by having mom and dad there to, to raise children has such a big role in how children develop. Um, and when families are, are broken, you know, this is one of the roles the church does. We, we try to step in, we try to help fill those gaps because the closer we can get to having that familial connection as kids grow up is so important. And, um, you know, we look around America, a lot, I mean, young people are marrying married less. I mean, all these things, they're, they're big problems. And the breakdown of family is something really hurting our culture. And the reason why it's number two um, is because it is so powerful. And one of the things we see, we look at Hollywood, we see people com um, legitimately shedding light on characters like Harvey Weinstein, who have done some terrible things. But again, you also see Hollywood culture going all the way back to like the, the hippies in the 60s, this whole sexual revolution, you know, take sex outside of marriage. You see the same people lighting fire on the, the family structure, also the ones being burned by it and they, there's these complaints and that's not blaming the victims it's just saying sin has ramifications that oftentimes affects people who weren't even there when the sins get set in motion and this is why this evil has such a bad effect on society now the mascot for this one um i like foxes but unfortunately um some bible stories do not treat the foxes as well as i think they should be treated um so i'm not totally approving of samson here but the fiery foxes from the story of samson now of course their colors are red and orange at this school and Judges 15, 1 through 5 reads this, and you'll see why they are the mascots for family breakdown. So in Judges 15, 1 through 5, after a while, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife, 
bringing along a goat. And he said, I want to go into my wife's room. But her father would not allow him to go in. Her father said, I was sure that you had rejected her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister prettier than she? Why not take her instead? Verse 3, Samson said to them, This time, when I do mischief to the Philistines, I will be without blame. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took some torches, and he turned the top foxes tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go. Into the stranding grain of the Philistines, they burned up the shocks, the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and olive groves. So these poor foxes get their tails lit on fire. Evidently, they don't die. I mean, they're running around with foxes of fire burning stuff up. But this is, this is the problem of family breakdown. It, 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 again, this story is great for that because it goes all throughout society. It breaks things up and it causes problems. It really, a lot of times, affects kids so, so terribly when stuff like this happens. Um, so that's the, the number two on this list. And we'll go around and, and review this before getting on to number one. Pastor Amanda? Well, I think Pastor Mike's about to lose his mind if he doesn't talk. Oh, well, he's we'll raising let, his hand. We'll so let Pastor we'll let Mike go first. go first. Well, I think this is just a, you know, if, if we look at the young goat that he brings, um, it, it, the young goat is obviously uh, in that day and age the price uh, of a prostitute. And any time we see, uh, you know, the abuse of treating people as objects, and we see that here, basically, um, it, it is very much uh, destroying the, the concept that God has for family and right relationship between, you know, husband and wife. And so for this, this thing right here is really terrible on how, um, you know, uh, men are looking at, at women. Uh, that, or, the the or, only righteous people, I think, in the story of Samson, if we're really honest, is probably Samson's parents. Yeah, just kind of my takeaway on that. Mm-hmm. And even there, I thought a little you meant confused. This story, I was like, you mean the foxes? Yeah. <laughs> no, the oh, foxes no, no. are the only blameless one in this particular in, in passage. In this particular passage, yes, the foxes. Which I mean, I'm always ready for for foxes. <laughs> but, um, well, and it, and of course, I don't say it right here in this passage. But if you read down further, you do realize that in 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 retaliation, the woman and her father are burned alive. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's terrible. It is the, terrible. The consequences so, of of this are massive. Yeah, and so I mean, this this is the ripple effect is tremendous, tremendous to, yep. to what it has not just between Samson and his wife that has been given to someone else and you know treated like an object, but also you know her 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 father and her and and her herself are are burned. Yeah, um, and so you know there's many things that that uh, destroy a family, but I definitely think that this is you know, number number two on our list. But I tell you, if it comes into your household, it is number one. It is the monster that you wrestle with. And there can be many, many things that attack the family. And one of the things that, and you know, I, I watch TV, not saying I don't, but TV in Hollywood is kind of taking the father figure and made him a buff, bumbling buffoon. And that is, as men, we are called to be, uh, you know, good fathers, good husbands. And, you know, if we look at our scriptures, you can see over and over again that we have failed. But yeah. God does not call us to fail. He calls yeah. us to, to be good, godly people and treat sure. people rightly. Pastor Especially Amanda, our families. Your thoughts yes. on this one? Well, I think, um, yeah, and the family breakdown, as you were talking about also in Pastor Mike, about the, the widespreading consequences. I, I think in the United States we have a very, uh, when we think family, we think mom, dad, two kids, white picket fence. Um, 
or that's kind of the stereotypical thought. And that's really not what we're talking about when we say family or even the breakdown of family. That structure is, is much more comprehensive than that. And you do have the grandparents that give you kind of your history, that give you the the um, the mythos of, of your family legacy, right? They're the ones that sit you down as a kid and tell you the story about their grandparents. And so that, that legacy that gives you kind of this identity or this idea of like who you are supposed to be and the traditions that you're called up, caught up into of, of what you do. Um, again, and you know, aunts and uncles and cousins, and then you bring in things like pets and friends who become family. And, and then it just, there's this widespreading really community um, that, that is being built. And its structure and its purpose is to take care of one another. And so when we say the breakdown of that family, as Pastor Mike was talking, is when we decide instead of protecting one another, instead of caring for one another, we decide to use and abuse each other. This is really the problem that happens. And that, that this breakdown is something much more um, then a couple of issues we can kind of point our fingers at, even though those issues are, are prevalent and can be very destructive. Uh, it's whenever we decide to use people as objects, like Pastor Mike said, anytime we decide to, instead of taking up that awesome responsibility we have of being brothers and sisters in Christ, and instead we're like, hmm, if I, you know, do this or do that, if I try to get my own way, and even if that means stepping on you, then that's okay. This is the breakdown of the family. This is the destruction of, of what we're really called to participate. We're called to be the family of God, the body of Christ. And these are not just pretty or nice analogies we like to say. This is actually really what we're supposed to be. And so it, it is, and it's quite sad just how much when we look at like also Dylan had Pastor Dylan had mentioned some statistics that led to um, criminal behavior often when we look at statistics of who gets abused it is generally by family members yeah that oh, the yeah. very people who are supposed to protect yep. and love and take care of you are the ones that are harming you and so this is why um <laughs> In some senses, this is why it's so high on our list, because it, one, it is prevalent, but also two, it is just, it is evil at its most evil. Yeah, absolutely. And the runner-up, well, actually, Anthony, let's get your thoughts on, on Family Breakdown before getting into the runner-up. I think this one is definitely epidemic, um, and it's probably the problem that the West, and at least specifically the United States, is suffering from the most. Uh as far well maybe not more than the next one but i feel like people are very personally and consciously connected to this issue yeah i think another strange thing about it though is that a lot of times people don't know whenever they are committing it like absolutely no idea and they don't consider that with the way that they live their life i mean i i didn't get grow up uh with very many christian aspirations until a certain time in high school but the rest of that time you know i was thinking just like the people of the world and i'm just going to be frank and say it uh you know i was thinking man like you know can't wait to have a car can't wait to get a girlfriend you know we can uh have premarital sex and all that stuff and that's what was cool that was what we all wanted to do and nobody had a problem with it people all joked about it we all said it was fine people were like hey man just use a condom everything's all good uh and now i think my views on that are totally the opposite. Um, first of all, premarital sex really, really destroys your uh, ability to to have a relationship with a woman. But also, if you do have a child with this woman that you may not be prepared to marry, 
in any way. Uh, sh you all are, you both are not going to be very good parents of children. And if you're divorced, you're going to be even worse parents of children. You're not going to be the parents that you need to be uh, as being two of a union. And yeah. so I think there's just so many really serious issues that we need to address concerning that in in the church and with our young people. And I think we need to be willing. I, it's kind of weird to say to use this word, but I think we need to be willing to have conversations with our young people about this sort of thing because, again, throughout the world and at school and all that sort of thing, it is perfectly normal and expected for you to have premarital sex and things of that nature. But it is one of the most devastating things that young people gleefully engage in. You know, yeah, and, and our culture almost... really wanted to extrapolate sex from marriage. And in doing that, it really is like setting the, the tails on the foxes on fire. Like it really opens the door. It lets the, the lid off of a lot of And a lot of bad things have happened from that. Um, but for time purposes, we got to, to run right along. So the runner up for this list, it didn't make it onto the list, but <laughs> is worth mentioning is apathy. And apathy can kind of be slotted in to subcategories of these other, but that one's the runner up. But let's get to number one. Number one of our list, you may have been able to guess it, is idolatry. In the school of idolatry, it loves for people to find anything to make an idol. And the simple definition that I use for this is whatever is at the top of your moral compass. So you look at the world and say, I, I like that or I don't like that because it matches up with whatever it is at the top of your moral compass. So one of the big idols that we have in our, our world is identity. You know, does this match up with me? Is it, is it catering to my identity? Is it opposing my identity? All that stuff. And number two, of course, on this would be groupthink. Number three, government. Really, you can put anything on this list, anything other than God that is guiding your moral compass, anything you have allowed to be a metric of good and evil. So you look at the world and say, well, it's agreeing with this, therefore it's good, or it's agreeing with that, therefore it's good. If that question of agreement is anything other than God's design for us, then, then there's going to be problems. So, of course, in this school of idolatry, what could be a better mascot than the golden statue of Nebuchadnezzar? Now, this is where this one gets interesting because the colors for the, the school of the, the golden statues is they think that their colors are gold, but their colors are actually grayscale. You see, they can't actually see the world because they don't have a good lens to see the world through. They're not measuring everything up to actually what God designed us to do, how God designed us to interact with one another. So they think they're looking at It's kind of like that dress. What was the dress? It was either blue and gold or... It was blue and oh, black yeah. and or, white and gold. Or white, yeah, something like something that. Like yeah, that. Th that's what happens in the school of, of idolatry is you look at the world and you think you're convinced, yeah, I'm looking at gold here. But the truth is you're looking at grayscale. And for one of the best examples of idolatry that I think has ever been recorded in human history is Daniel chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. This is just a great story. And it is with Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel 3, verse 14 says, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble, to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, all will be good and well. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire, and who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Again, I think the best statement ever written on idolatry. 
If you bow down to it, look, the theater's been set. I mean, idolatry is very theatrical. We've got the music. We've got the culture. We've got everything. We're going to set the stage. We'll play the music. And if you'll bow down to it, you know, here it is. Just dance. Bow down. All is good and well. And you notice how Nebuchadnezzar says there, the golden statue that I have made. I, me. Oh, yeah. Well, don't, and I'm sure there's a feast there and music. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mean, great. It's a party. If, if Come you on, enjoy. Will, if you will bow down, it's yeah. all well. But if you do not, and you notice how he doesn't say if you don't work, bow down. He says, if you do not worship, mm-hmm. baby, it's hell for you. <laughs> We're going to crank them, them furnaces up, crank them up seven times hotter than they ever could be. Crank them bad boys up because blazing fire. Who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Idolatry through the roof, through the roof. Stories of idolatry um, reaching up for the heavens. Um, Pastor Amanda, your thoughts on this one? I love that last line of who is the God that's going to deliver you because the story answers itself, right? Because like this, this <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar does not realize that he is the, the villain in, in the story, right? It will take some other stories that will happen throughout Daniel for him to fully grasp um, his place in history. And even then he will not. But it's quite fascinating because he's like, yeah, like... And so, he, he, they, of course, they don't bow down. They get thrown in the furnace. And what is there? A fourth man um, walking in the fire. And it's just fascinating. Because here's the thing, though. I think idolatry is very prevalent in our society. It is another very sneaky sin. It's not sometimes always so obvious. It, it, nope. Sometimes it's worse perpetrators or those within the church. Yep. Um, but God is not scared of idolatry. God is not even <laughs> phased by idolatry. God's like, all right, take the furnace up to seven. Like, I don't care. I'll walk through it and I will walk through it with you, with my people. And so it's just like, this is like Nebuchadnezzar becomes this great archetype villain. And even he can't even touch it, right? He can't even... Yeah even get close and i think that's sometimes the power in idolatry is because it it, it mimics a, it's a lot like we talked about with sophistry it can mimic the good news but it in the end it is a poor and sad imitation yeah very very sad well i think dylan said earlier that a lot of these you know will overlap and i would like to just say as a disclaimer this is not a an exhaustive list and I also would like to say that, you know, the monster that you are battling at the time is probably the number one on the list. And any of these can slip into our lives and there can be a battle going on there. But th- thanks be to God, Christ will deliver his people. Let us stand faithful and strong with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anthony, any thoughts on this one? Well, just that uh, idolatry is... Not always as recognizable as we would think it to be, though, honestly, if you were to weigh it by the standards of Scripture, I think you can know pretty uh, immediately. But um, aside from that, I just want to say that human beings are definitely inherently religious creatures before we are rational creatures. Um, I think it's almost more like our mode of being the way that we like to be is religious and reason is just a tool that we use on the side to be if we're all being more honest about uh how we live our lives and um by what people proclaim and what people proclaim with their actions you can tell what the idol in their life is yeah. and that would be about all that i say on that you know 
there's another scripture that I want to bring up. That's when Jesus is is kind of dealing with with everything that's happened with John the Baptist. And in Matthew chapter 11, he's kind of addressing the whole situation with John. He's kind of teaching to everyone. And he comes and he says, To all who have ears, listen. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another. And this is Matthew eleven seventeen right here where he says, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you would not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they said, He has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they said, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. We look in that and we see, you know, he's, he's comparing this generation like children in the streets. They're playing flutes. They want you to dance. They're wailing. They want you to mourn with them. But the truth of it is, is they're idolaters and they don't, nothing you can do really satisfies them. For John, you know, it says he didn't eat or drink. And they said, oh, he just has a demon. That's why he won't participate, why he won't do that, why he won't eat and drink. Then when the son of man came eating and drinking, they said, oh, look, he's a glutton because he is doing it. They're not satisfied by anything. They just want you to play the game that they're wanting you to play. Nebuchadnezzar, he's really only satisfied if you bow down, you worship his statue, you worship him. He plays the orchestra and you dance. Like I just, it's terrible. I, it's so amazing to look at that story. I hate, I hate to use the word that I, I love that story, but it's such an accurate depiction of what idolatry looks like. You know, you've got literally an orchestra. The orchestra plays and everybody's got to stop what they're doing and bow down to the idol. Like that's that's Nebuchadnezzar for you. That's idolatry for you. Well, and it goes on to say, and one of my favorite parts of the the, the passage there that that you did not read though is when it says, you know, the, the three Hebrews said, whether whether our God delivers us or not, we will not bow down and oh, worship. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. you know, that's that's just great. That's a nice one liner for you. <laughs> yeah. Shut him down. Finishing line, yeah. Finishing line. They don't even care. Well, with that we thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this list. Send us your thoughts, questions, comments about these top five evils plaguing our society. Um, again, let us know what you think. With that, God love you and have a blessed day.